Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Crush Kovalev. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and back with me for episode 56, my co-host, Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? It was an interesting weekend of fights as Timothy Bradley squared off against Jesse Vargas. But before we get to the main event of the evening... From this past weekend, we have some announcements to make. The Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast will be taking live callers starting next Sunday at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. At a regular start time, all of that information will be made available by tomorrow on theboxingrant.com and on the host site for the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on spreaker.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes and TuneIn. Be sure to subscribe there, and we will be taking callers via Skype so you can chime in and cast your opinions and your rants here on the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. You looking forward to uh, to taking some callers, Vin? Yeah, buddy. I think it's definitely about time we uh, we got the word from our fans, man. Yeah, absolutely. As the fan base grows, so do... Uh, so do the opinions, and we got some really good ones out there. Um, also, we have began the foundation of the boxing rant with this show, The Tale of the Tape. It is the linchpin. It is the incumbent. It is the undisputed pound-for-pound king of boxing podcasts. And to build off the success of this show, we are looking to add more content to the website because for all intents and purposes, it is just the Tale of the Tape boxing podcast. So we are looking for some bloggers. We're not looking for reporters. We're not looking for ringside you know, uh, uh, reports. We all watch the fights. We all know what happens. What we're looking for is some people with some sharp opinions, well uh, thought out, cohesive, thoughtful, provocative opinions that are in line with uh, like-minded individuals that share um, our passion for the sweet science. We're looking for uh, for a few. So if you're interested in writing for theboxingrant.com, please con podcast at theboxingrant.com. We're also going to be expanding our content here. Yes, the flagship will always be the tale of the tape, but we'll also be adding some new features, some new podcasts, and hopefully um, you will enjoy all of it. But as I have been in communication with a lot of our listeners via email, to get their opinions. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you're looking for as boxing fans. Is it fighter profiles? Is it live reaction immediately after the fight? Is it just a show where you can call in and rant with us? 
hashtag boxing banter. If you have an idea, an opinion, what are you looking for as the diehard fans of the sweet science? Please contact podcast at theboxingrant.com. We want to hear from you. So, Vin, some uh, pretty interesting steps in different directions here on theboxingrant.com. Hey, hey, we don't fear change here, buddy. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's an insatiable need for more rantings and ravings <laughs> from the tale of the tape and the boxing rants. We look forward to hearing from you. Your feedback is very important to us, as without the listeners out there, um, there is no show. We'd like to thank all of our listeners who tune in on a weekly basis to the tale of the tape, our American contingency, of course, but also a big shout out to our huge listener base in the United Kingdom. We have some diehard, loyal Irish tale of the tape fans, English, and of course, our friends staying warm year round up in Sweden. We'd like to give you all a big shout out for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. So let's get to the action. Uh, before we visit True TV, Showbox the Next Generation, and a bunch of announcements, let's go ahead and kick it off from HBO World Championship Boxing live from the Mecca of Action Fights at the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Timothy Bradley versus Jesse Vargas. There was some interesting back and forth in the week lead up to this fight then. Yeah, yeah, there was. It was very interesting. It got a little chippy towards the end there. And, uh, you know, Bradley Bradley tends to get that way. I think he's a smaller guy. He's got that little chip on his shoulder mentality, and he just he lets loose. Oh, absolutely, man. The, uh, the pictures say a thousand words, and the face-to-face of Vargas and Bradley, the four-inch height difference, Vargas looking yeah. down at him. And, uh, man, Timothy Bradley's a little pit bull, isn't he? He is, man. He is one hell of a fighter, boy. Yeah, absolutely. So this is for the WBO interim welterweight title as Floyd has decided to just do what Floyd does and let everybody know, hey guys, I'm still in charge of everything. Yeah, come on, man. Get yeah, out of here, Floyd. Absolute joke. Um, so let's get right to the action. The first round, Bradley's aggressive. Very calculated in this opening round, much more so than previous fights. He's determined to shoot low to the body, and at the end of the round, Bradley volleys a big left to the body, uh, right to the face combination, square and concise, shakes Vargas to his foundation at the opening bell. Vargas is showing better accuracy in the second round, but Bradley continues to pressure and work to the gut. Were you impressed by Bradley shooting that jab to the body early and often? I was. I was impressed with how he looked like he had a little more on his punches. You know, It's Bradley. We know he, he lacks the power. But to me, he looked like he had a little more last night behind him. Yeah, absolutely. Vargas was using his range well in the third round, and Bradley began to get reckless, but in his own Bradley way. He's not entering behind the jab as he should, as Andre Ward made note of the entire evening. But a good heavy exchange by both fighters closes out the third. We head to the fourth, and the Desert Storm is surprising Vargas with big power rights. And Andre Ward does not believe that Timothy Bradley can sustain this. He must not have watched many Bradley fights, because this is what the Desert Storm does. Yeah, I mean, this was this was no surprise to me or you or anybody <laughs> who watches this guy fight. I mean, at some point in a fight, I just feel like Timothy Bradley has that that fuck it moment where he's like, <laughs> you know what, I, this, I got more heart than this guy. Let's see where he's at. Absolutely. Bradley dominates the fourth with diverse power attack that has Vargas hunched over, and he's just absorbing the big shots to the dome and the thudding hooks to the body. Bradley looks hungry. 
Lampley is laying on CompuBox for this fight, boy. <laughs> he is. Uh, it's like when when fights have a tendency to seem really close to him, man. He 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 leans hard on those numbers, doesn't he? Just tell me what you see, Jim. Don't it, don't tell me what what they're telling you. Exactly. <laughs> In the fifth round, there's a huge exchange to close it. Vargas is against the ropes, and Bradley is swinging for the fences. Vargas hunched over, protecting himself, but is able to counter and catch the over-assertive Bradley. They both catch and shoot big, strong power shots. A competitive scrap indeed. We move to the sixth. A big straight left from Bradley stops Vargas in his tracks, and his posture is beginning to slip. The physicality of the Desert Storm is beginning to wear down the challenger. These guys know how to close around. Vargas shrugs his shoulders into the corner and reaches deep for a big breath of air. Bradley's determination is starting to sap the energy of Jesse Vargas. Yeah, yeah, it was. And you know what? You got to give respect to Jesse because we hadn't seen him in any type of fight like this before. And I think he did prove, if if not one thing in this fight, that that he's a game fighter. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. He definitely was uh, there as a uh, a very, very willing dance partner indeed. Jesse Vargas is not getting his punches off first, though, Vin. As we enter the seventh, Bradley's taking advantage of a worn-down Vargas. The only time... That Vargas finds success in this round is when he fires recklessly without a jab. Bradley is nonstop. The relentless desert storm is breaking down the much bigger fighter. Vargas is laying on Bradley to open the eighth. He has a spurt, but is unable to sustain anything because of the pace that Timothy Bradley has set. That is the telltale, telltale. Skunk smell in the crowd as Lampley is puffing herb on the sidelines once again. Somebody's following him, huh? I, I, I'm telling you right now, they are passing the duchy to the left-hand side. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, Kellerman is, uh, is pretty street. He's got himself a little street background. He's probably rolling them and passing them around. Right. Oh, man. Oh, geez. I guess Lampley's at that point. It's legal in California. His cataracts must have been acting up. Hey, Lampley's had a, had a past with that shit anyway. So. <laughs> As Lampley takes a shotgun from the blunt of Kellerman, Bradley comes out pumping the jab, initiating three and four punch combos to control the ninth. But Vargas fires a sharp, straight body shot that sends Bradley backwards momentarily. Bradley takes a breath and continues his offensive work to command another round. Bradley has a small cut at the end of the night, and Vargas is bleeding badly from his nose. We head to the 10th. As soon as Vargas tries to ramp it up, Bradley will not be outdone and digs deeper. He will not allow Vargas to win the battle of heart and desire. He never lets anybody get a one-up in this category. We head to the 11th, and Bradley begins to pick up the pace again. Vargas is trying to dig deep, but the 11th is not the round that Bradley wants to let his foot off the gas as Vargas has his best round in a while. But Bradley has a little bit more in every category. Vargas wobbles Bradley with a huge right hand in the 12th. A Hail Mary punch sending the Desert Storm staggering, wandering away, possibly out on his feet. There's 10 seconds left in the fight, and referee Pat Russell says, no, 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 fight's over. Vargas starts celebrating as if he's won. Russell runs over to the judges and says he thought he heard the bell. The fight was stopped with four seconds left officially. Bradley is stunned in the corner while Vargas celebrates, but this fight will go to the scorecards. The judges, 116 to 112, 
117 to 111, and 115, 112, all in favor of the Desert Storm, Timothy Bradley. My card then, 117, 110. How say you? I say 116-112. Very good fight. I was very impressed with Vargas's ability to to prove basically that he belongs at this level. I think, I mean, I don't know if he's a, a, a serious championship contender at welterweight, but he belongs in the ring with, with top 10, top 5 quality opponents. He, he really proved himself to me. Yeah. Uh, I think he... The kryptonite for this fight was him allowing Bradley to dictate the, the pace of the entire fight, right. and Vargas would not get off first. I don't know if it was the unpredictable nature of how and when Bradley was going to launch his offensive, right? but Vargas seemed tentative to pull the trigger until Bradley already had. Yeah, yeah, and that was his problem pretty much the entire fight. But look, you, you got to, I mean, Timothy Bradley, that, that was one of the better performances I've seen from him. He looked really sharp. He looked really strong. And it was kind of at a point where you were you started to question coming into this fight, you know, a lot of tough fights Bradley's been in. Is he kind of starting on, on the downward slide of his career? And I think he proved last night that there's, there's no chance, buddy. He's there still. Oh, absolutely. Max Kellerman retells his personal perspective during his post-fight interview. <laughs> Starts off by saying, hey, but there was 10 seconds left. There was seven seconds left. There was four seconds left. Couldn't get it right. Right. He was trying to over-dramatize this and asked Timothy Bradley, oh, you know, how are you going to be able to deal with the fact that uh, you're going to have to defend this victory? He's like, I don't got to defend shit. No, come on, And he man. shouldn't. He won the fight. It was, it was a clear victory, regardless of Pat Russell's moment of, of you know, just being a 75-year-old man or however the hell old he is. Right. Timothy Bradley has nothing to prove after this fight. Why Kellerman and this HBO crew repeatedly tries to tie controversy to every single fight that Bradley is involved in. Call it as it is, this fight was clearly Timothy Bradley's fight. I think even if he goes down, he's not going to stay down. He wasn't going to get knocked out. So he's going to get up, and even with the knockdown, he still wins the fight on all cards look uh, come on man Bradley does not go down I'm not gonna sit here and say well he had seven seconds left to you but Vargas might have been able to finish him I don't know Vargas looked pretty gassed to me when he was trying to get to Bradley fading away from him it looked like Vargas had about zero left in the tank at that point anytime oh yeah yeah any ways I should say yeah no there's no doubt and then the question about well well Tim you know you fought this great fight the entire way, but it looks like you jumped on your bicycle a little bit there in the final two rounds. I'm like, what the hell is he watching? Come on, man. He was in the middle of the ring circling Vargas to keep him away from him on his bike. Uh, How about he got, he was close enough to get touched on the chin in the 12th round when he probably really had no business doing it. So what are you talking about? man? Yeah, no, it's not even remotely what was going on whatsoever. Um, it was a rough night for the crew. Maybe it was uh, adding Andre Ward's d- delusional cloud that follows him around <laughs> everywhere. It had these guys super confused. And the fact that, you know what, man, this is pretty much what you get if you're going to smoke some fine California kush while you're calling a fight. I think uh, Russell m- must have caught a whiff of that, too. Or, or either he was confused with the... Uh you know the old clap on, clap off? <laughs> the clapper? Yeah. Stop think... the fight. <laughs> Stop the fight. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, Vargas had a chance, man. 
he had his chance, you know? I mean, uh, Bradley is an exhausting proposition, Vin. Oh, my God. And, and for Vargas to really take his first elite or a step up in competition to elite fighters and face Timothy Bradley, boy, that's a tough task, man. It really is. I mean, as soon as you think that you are right back in it, as soon as you put your foot on the gas pedal to be like, you know what? I'm I'm right here too. And right. you know what? I'm going to reassert myself and let everybody know that I'm at the same level with this guy. He just says, "Nope, I got another gear." Yeah, man. It's it's really crazy. I as Timothy Bradley has gone on in his career, I mean, look, as sometimes is it a bit awkward style, but man, his fights are so damn fun to watch. He never disappoints, man. Always entertaining from start to finish. Yeah, that is what Bradley does. Timothy Bradley's desire to win, Vin his unwillingness to be outworked, and his will to take your heart in the ring to win a fight is an example that the entitled, the entitled fighters of the world in the current boxing landscape should take notice of. Laura thinks his skill is enough. No. Broner thinks his image is enough. Nope. Bradley shows you that it is never enough to assume that you can win a fight without exerting your will on your opponent. Uh, hey, man, there's, that is why... For me, we have got to see Bradley Provodnikov too, man. You, you, the the wills of those two guys in the ring, and I know Bradley probably wants to save that fight for for down the line. I think he's going to want not to get himself into a war like that again because look, he's getting old, and you can only handle so many of those fights. But the, the will of those two guys, those two guys, when they get in the ring and fight, that's what that's what caused that fight of the year in 2013. Those guys are just wills colliding wills of just the strongest most it, it it doesn't get any better than that ken those two guys in the ring are are, are what i want to see right now yeah no doubt and look timothy bradley's wife might have something to say about that you heard the interviews in the lead up to the fight with her yeah. and she wants him to be done sooner than later yeah yeah i mean you can't take beatings like that no you can't and timothy bradley has taken some He's calling out Golovkin. He's calling out Cotto. He said, does Klitschko need a sparring partner? Right. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, got, I got more respect for, you know, for this guy than, uh, than most, but um, I'm, I'm right with you, man. It, it's going to come a time where Timothy Bradley is going to have to, uh, to kind of maybe take some easy ones, but I don't know if his personality allows him to do that. I, I don't think so either, man. That, that's just who he is. He wants the best, and he's going to bring it every time, no matter what, until his last round of boxing in his career yeah no doubt man no doubt about it at all and, and props to to pat russell for at least owning up to his mistake at the end of the fight and taking an interview and and saying look you know what i screwed up i thought i heard the bell most guys would run away from that he stood there and at least answered the questions i give him respect for that yeah but he didn't say he screwed up he did, he, he sat there and said that i i heard the bell well yeah, yeah. Ma max kellerman said you screwed up and he responded by saying, no, I heard the bell and I called, I called the fight. Right, right. Period. Right. You know what I mean? He stood up. He didn't make excuses. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and I hear what you're saying there, Vin, because there's no doubt about it that, uh, uh, you know, there are many referees that we know all too well in this sport that would have stood there and backpedaled their way out of all of it. Uh, I saw a pretty funny picture last night on Twitter, somebody, it was a meme of, uh, of Russell and it said, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the truth, man. Come yeah. on. Yeah. There's no doubt, man. Um, so, uh, what is next? Do you want to see a rematch? No, I don't think that one punch that he landed in the 12th round warrants a rematch. I thought for the most part, 
Bradley was in control of three quarters of that fight. Uh, and and Vargas proved that he belongs at that level or right below it, but there's no really no need for a rematch. I think you get no. this you get the same fight again. Vargas uh, he can't handle the pressure of Bradley right now. I, you're going to get the same exact fight. No, sir. I don't need to see it again. We well, it was good, but I don't need to see it again. Yeah, I agree. And we we both agreed that and I, I think there was a consensus of people in the know that Vargas just really he's not really right there. I mean, no. he's a he's a he's a contender mm-hmm. and he'll probably beat the likes of a of an Adrian Broner or a bottom let's say a ranked 15 through 7 8 kind of fighter. A Saddam Ali kind of fighter. Yeah, but the, I mean Vargas is just I don't want to call him a fringe contender because I think he could win a belt against the right opponent. Right, right. But we're talking about one of the best welterweights of the last decade. Yeah, yeah, there's a big, big, big difference. Yeah, and he just wasn't the assertive force that Diego Chavez was. No. Uh-uh. You know, and he needed to be. Yeah, you need to be a tough, strong fighter that's going to come at Bradley when he comes at you. Indeed, and that is how Pacquiao beat him twice. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I don't want to see it either. I, w- I, I want to see, see Bradley in with the best. I want to see Bradley versus Kell Brook. I want to see... Bradley versus Rios. I want to see him in fights. I want to see Bradley Provodnikov too. Bradley versus Lucas Matisse. Yeah, that's that's another one that was crossing my mind last night. It'd be a great fight. Yeah, Bradley versus Crawford. Yeah. Could you imagine Timothy Bradley if he were able? And I don't think he's he's struggling to make 147 right now. Yeah. But could you imagine him versus Terrence Crawford? Oh my god. That would be such a fun fight to watch. Oh my god. I mean any fight you put him in is just is pretty much can't miss. What's funny to me is and I know, you know, we don't we don't care too much as as to who Mayweather fights next anyways, but he never gets mentioned. Never as a Mayweather opponent. Well, you know, I, I, I think that Timothy Bradley is not as strong as Marcos Maidana, but I think he even has a different level than Maidana does when it comes to pressure. And I think that kind of fighter that you know Timothy Bradley would basically die in the ring before he would give up against Floyd Mayweather. Right, right. And I think Floyd kind of knows that sometimes with, with Bradley's style, uh, he can steal rounds when maybe he, he shouldn't have gotten around, which he did in the first fight with Pacquiao on some of those cards. It's just his activity and his and his constant... He's constantly in motion in the ring doing something. And I think Floyd's probably takes a look at that and says, I don't need to deal with all that. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, he is. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, it looks like Bradley's still game, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I was uh, I was actually impressed with his his base and his foundation in this fight. It was, it was something of concern over his last few fights where I started to see his knees getting a little bit wobbly, but he seems fully recovered yep. from his, uh, I guess it was his feet. Um, that he injured repeatedly. Yeah, his ankle problems. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, it, I don't know who it was. Oh, it was Andre Ward pointed out last night that Timothy Bradley has enormous feet. He does, man. Enormous feet. So to uh, to break his ankles is quite a feat. Um, <laughs> but you know what they say about uh, about big feet, right, Vin? What is it? Um, big shoes? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yep, exactly. Uh, so Timothy Bradley, the Desert Storm, by clear victory. By clear victory. Yeah. We don't need to see the rematch. If they want to make the rematch, so be it. But I can guarantee you one thing right now. HBO is probably not going to want to pay Timothy Bradley another $2 million to fight against Jesse Vargas. No, and Jesse Vargas, go out there and beat you a couple top 10 fighters and then come back and get that fight. Yeah. It'll be there for you if you keep winning. You are 100% right there. 
uh, Vin. So let's go ahead and move to the co-feature, an exciting fighter, Oscar Valdez, one of my top 10 prospects in the sport, a fringe top five guy for you and I, 15-0, 14 knockouts coming into the fight at 24 years old. The 2012 Olympic bronze medalist from Mexico squared off against Ruben Tamayo, a 126-pound clash. Valdez doesn't get mentioned very much because of his age and his professional experience level at this point as a threat to the top five of the 126-pound division. But what I saw last night in this fight was a kid as refined and as it is very clear to see with Oscar Valdez, his amateur pedigree and background in his skill set is very, very clear. So we get to the fight. Oscar Valdez boxing well from the outside. Accurate but not active to, to open this one. Later in the round, Tamayo steps on Valdez's left foot and lands a big straight left simultaneously. Flash knockdown, Valdez goes down. That was a shocker. Yeah, it was. What was with, your take on it, Vin? With, without stepping on... Look, if I'm a judge and I see the foot get stepped on, I'm not calling that a knockdown. No? No. Even though the punch landed, it was simultaneous with his foot being stepped on. It's just not legit in my eyes. It's a tough, you know, bang-bang call for, for a referee in a fight, so it's, it's really tough to judge a ref making that call and getting it wrong or right, however you see it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know where I stand. I think that the announcing crew was showing a little bit of favoritism towards towards the favorite in this one. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, f- just from a literal perspective, from the you know from what the ref is seeing, if he's unable to see simultaneously that the foot stepped on, we saw that in Kovalev, um, his fight against Gabe Caparillo. Right, right. Um, it, it was the same exact thing, and you catch a guy off balance like that and land the punch simultaneously. If the ref sees it, he sees it. So based off of I guess what literally happened. Yeah. It's 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 a good call. Yeah. yeah but you, I definitely agree with you in the same breath. Yep. Ray Corona was looking around for someone to tell him if it was a knockdown Vin. Yeah, he he was. was lost. He was like, uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not prepared to make this call. But Max was pleading travesty. As awkward as it was, technically it was a knockdown, Max. Valdez comes out with a chip on his shoulder after the flash. Meeting with the canvas, utilizing a really nice footwork to circle Tamayo and landing his shots at will. Valdez is showing some similar maneuvering to that of his top-ranked stablemate and fellow, 126-pounder Vasily Lomachenko. The punch stats landing 36 out of 68 in that second round. Yeah, yeah, you could tell he wanted to respond, man. <laughs> yeah, big time. Three, four, five rounds, all the same. All to Valdez. In the sixth round, Valdez is spinning Tamayo around the ring. One, two, three, and he's gone. Disappear, reappear around the corner. Tamayo finds Valdez in a final minute of the round. He's wearing everything Valdez has and is able to counter more by his ability to anticipate what is coming from the young stylist. Tamayo is landing clean, crisp shots on the increasingly predictable youngster. Tamayo is worn for a low blow to close the six. This was the only round that I gave to the challenger. I am with you on that one, buddy. We head to the seventh, and Valdez is showing some impressive hand speed with a series of catch-and-shoot counter-rights. Valdez's impression continues, and so does the sharpshooting accuracy. Tamayo is hit with the penalty for another low blow. This one, not egregious at all. Kind of just bounced right off of Valdez's hips. He didn't keel over. 
nonetheless it was called. I guess the referee's doing his job at that point. Yeah, he, he had it coming. He was, he was a little low all night. We head to the eighth. Tamayo continues to throw low blows, this time blatant and obvious, lower than before. He's warned again by the ref, but Valdez seems composed under the circumstances. At the very end of the round, Tamayo connects a hug body shot, and the young Valdez, he's left wincing into the corner. We head to the night. Tamayo is worn thin. Valdez picking him apart. In the final round, the impressive Valdez comes out firing for the knockout. Tamayo is in survivor mode at this point as Valdez is showing great conditioning in his first 10-round fight. Tamayo shows heart, but the young prodigy was just too much. The judges, 98 to 90 times 2. 99 to 90, Oscar Valdez by way of unanimous decision. My card, Vin. 98 to 90, Oscar Valdez. I am right with you again on that one, my friend. I, I, I thought... Uh, I, it was, I, I Look, the reason my scorecard looked like that before you go, Vin, I, the, the opening round, I, I, I gave it a 9-9 round. That, that's exactly what I did, too, man. I'm sorry. I'm going to score what I saw. Yeah. Look, I, I'm not... I'm automatically not a, giving a 10-8? Right. I'm not a judge, and I'm not automatically... Yeah, look, Valdez dominated that round <laughs> yeah. prior to that punch. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to score it even, if anything. Call it how you see it, brother. Yep. Uh, that's how we roll here. Um, there's no doubt about it. I was a big fan and admirer of the skill level of Vasil Lomachenko as anybody. Yeah. And so are you. Sometimes we, you know, walk, go to the grocery store with big blow-up buttons of Lomachenko that we pin to everything. I do it at least once a month. At least once a month. Um, I have all the different colors. <laughs> but Max Kellerman used this Valdez fight to express his undying infatuation for the Ukrainian pound-for-pounder. I mean, yeah, look, stop. Let's focus on the guys who are in the ring, especially an undefeated prospect that is looking to make his way up to that level and face these guys. We know about Lomachenko, okay, Max? We get it. Everybody <laughs> realizes he's the best damn fighter at 126 pounds and maybe in the world. Yes. Just let it be, okay? We, you don't need to keep reminding us. No, let's talk about the future of Oscar Valdez. Yeah, please. Be- because it is unbelievably bright, this kid. Yeah. What's your takeaway about Valdez? My takeaway is, is I really like his, his style he brings. is very exciting to watch. He, 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 he lets it all hang out. I, he's young, and I'm not ready to put him up in the top four or five of that division. I'm, I'm not ready to say that he's ready for the, the, the Walters and, and the Rigos and the Lomos of the world. I'm just... He's got some learning to do. I think he got a little bit predictable at times in the middle of six, seven, eight rounds of that fight, and Tamayo kind of started to catch a little bit of success. But, yeah, the kid showed that he can go 10 hard rounds. He's, uh, he's got a very solid skill set, and I, I'm, I look for him in maybe not next year, but in two, three years from now to be a player. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this kid is, is legit. I really agreed with Andre Ward's analysis of the inability of, or maybe just the inexperience of Valdez in changing tempo with his punches. Yeah. Um, he did, be, it did seem like Tamayo was able to just wince and take everything. Yeah, it did. I'm not sure what that says about Valdez's power. I think that Lomachenko's power is, I don't know, it's probably above average. It's not, it's yeah. not, it's not great, but where Lomachenko maximizes his, his power 
is his ability to change speeds. Right. Is that when you think that little pity pat measuring jab is coming out at you, that he's just going to keep going one, two, one, two, one, two, boom, and he can just get popped out of nowhere right. with something stiff to the chin. And um, Valdez could definitely use use that kind of work. But the most impressive thing to me about Oscar Valdez is his footwork. Yeah. Impressive footwork. Yeah, he's in and out quickly. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's in with accurate punches too. He's very he's a very very interesting kid moving forward for sure. Valdez, Chocolatito, Lomachenko, the footwork undeniable, correct? Oh yeah, a hundred percent undeniable. All right, man. So actually, considering the fights we're about to talk about, mm-hmm. right, the Friday night fights, Ugh. Saturday saved the day. It was a Pretty good night of boxing on HBO, man. Thank God, yes. Yeah, it definitely was. The Desert Storm, Timothy Bradley, by way of unanimous decision, and the prospect, Oscar Valdez, does the deal. Unanimous decision, 12. Before we get to the recap of Friday Night Fights, I just want to, again, remind our listeners out there, we will be taking live callers next week. That information will be posted on theboxingrant.com on our speaker page, everywhere that we can possibly post it. We'll definitely send it out on Twitter. Check out the Facebook page, all of it, and we'll have that information for you so you can call and be a part of the show. We're looking for bloggers. We want to start hearing the voices of our listeners out there. If you can write a bit and you got a strong opinion about the sport, we're not looking for reporters. It's not a paid position, just a platform for you to share your voice and rant with us. We're expanding our content. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at the mailbag on the website or send it directly to podcast at theboxingrant.com. We want your input. What do you want to hear from us? If you just want to hear us rant, that's fine. If you want specific content, fighter profiles, more interviews, you want me to hit Brandon Rios back up and have him on. He's always entertaining. Let me know. I'll get in touch with these guys. Once we initiate the live caller portion of the tale of the tape will be able to, um, you know, as I always say, to quote myself, I'm not trying to appear, <laughs> we'll do the deal. <laughs> so just uh, shoot us a message at podcast at theboxingrant.com. And thanks again for tuning in to episode 56 of the tale of the tape boxing podcast. Now we move to Friday night. I really like this series. I think the quality of it, Far supersedes Showbox. Yeah. Well, I don't even... Astronomical amounts of levels above ESPN Friday Night Fights. And I'm speaking of True TV, Top Rank's new series, Friday Night Knockouts. This edition, from this past Friday night, Hidalgo, Texas. Vince, your number three ranked prospect of 2014. My number four ranked prospect of 2014. Gilberto Ramirez squares off against tough gatekeeper Derek Edwards in a 168-pound clash. The winner for the opportunity to face the winner of Abraham versus Stieglitz four. Yeah, I, that's 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 going to be a tough tough fight there, boy. The 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 winner of Abraham Stieglitz four. I mean, look if if it's Abraham. That guy's getting so old, and that fight is so tough for him. He's got to be at the end of the line, man. Gilberto may be able to pick himself off a belt. Yeah, and, you know, Arthur Abraham, a lot of people forget, while Gilberto Ramirez 
is six foot two and a half, six foot three. You look at Arthur Abraham, and he's the Timothy Bradley of the one hundred and sixty eight pound division. Yeah, you, he's he really five foot nine there. and stocky. Yeah, he doesn't belong there, really. He's a he's a middleweight fighter, but he's just so damn thick. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. A matchup between Abraham and Ramirez would uh, would actually be a pretty exciting fight. But let's go ahead and get to the action as the Mexican prospect they call Zerdo opens the bell. Edwards is effective in spurts, but difficult to get in on Ramirez. The height advantage is clear. Ramirez is isolating Edwards' attack with good footwork and combination punching and oppressive focus on the jab that was coming downhill at the smaller Edwards. This, one of my points I want to talk about after the fight, his ability to exploit his height advantage and use the jab, a jab that was literally being thrown at a downward angle. An unbelievable weapon for a man of this size. Don't you think, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I'm right with you. And it's good to see that from him because sometimes in these past couple fights we haven't, seen the jab as much we've kind of just seen a, a bland come forward performance from from gilberto and this was not that at all no it wasn't ramirez is very creative with his punch combinations in this fight exploiting the height advantages we just touched on edwards looking perplexed not letting his hands go he cannot get at range to launch a counterattack. in the third ramirez connects a solid 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 punch staggering edwards following it up with multiple punches, upstairs and down, a completely overwhelming swarm of accuracy from the young Mexican star. Derek Edwards is saved by the bell. We head to the fourth. Both fighters launch and land left hooks simultaneously. Both punches were enormous and landing flush, but Edwards got the worst of it, and it was as if a fire was lit under Zerdo. And the barrage begins. Edwards is nearly out on his feet, staggering aimlessly, and again, Saved by the bell. Edwards is escorted to the corner by the referee. Hey, bud. <laughs> Over here. This way. <laughs> Ramirez, not as consistently active in the fifth. The opening minute of the round, he has Edwards on the ropes, but backs off of him. After throwing an effective combination, Ramirez is showing he isn't willing to waste punches in this fight. Edwards is unable to solve the six foot three riddle. We head to the seventh. Edwards is not moving his head. Jeff Mayweather was asked by Christina Poncher in the corner, is he considering stopping the fight? Mayweather was brought in to help Edwards with his defense, but old habits die hard. As in the eighth, Ramirez has Edwards on the ropes for well over a minute in the middle of the round, just peppering Edwards with every punch in the book, and the ref is just standing back watching. No sign from Edwards' corner. Mayweather tells Edwards this is it, or he's stopping it. A tape issue to open the ninth give Edwards time to recover. It is further, further from the beating of the previous eight rounds as Edwards uses the break to his advantage and comes out firing. Ramirez is weathering the burst from the challenger until he unloads a timely combination, snapping Edwards' head back badly. It's pretty clear that his punch resistance is non-existence at, at this point. The only thing keeping Edwards around, then is Ramirez's lack of activity in the ninth. We head to the final round. Ramirez comes out looking for the knockout. Edwards is firing back, giving everything he has, but he's just not able to hurt the larger, stronger, younger. Gilberto Ramirez. 
the judges, 100 to 90 times three for Zerdo. Gilberto Ramirez, my card, Vin, 100 to 89 as I gave a 10-8 round for Gilberto in the fourth. Yeah, yeah, when he pounded him pretty, pretty badly. Edwards is pretty much out on his feet. Yeah, yeah, and I think Edwards is he's reached his last fight as a gatekeeper in that division pretty much. He's he's kind of a beaten fighter now. But uh for Gilberto, look, I thought he improved upon his last two performances. I, I think there's no doubt about it. I think the biggest thing with him moving forward is gonna be we see that he kind of lacks the the power. It, it's it's just not there. I don't know if he needs to move up a weight class to get to it, but it's not a, it's not for it's not there for him at one sixty eight is his activity, his, his constant just – he's not really in your face, but he's constantly putting punches in your face and, and changing levels and, and different punches. Is, is that going to be enough against the best at, at 168 pounds? I'm, I'm still – I'm starting to question a little bit more than I did, even though he looked good last night. I'm starting to question that more than I did a, a year and a half ago. One thing I will say for the kid is – and we haven't really seen him get caught with any real big shots – but I think we can tell by the structure of his chin and how squared off it is. Yeah. And just with the the you know, the Latino heritage of just their granite infused facial structure. It, I don't think anybody's getting this kid out of there. So if it, 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 is his ability to to stay active and, and keep punches in people's face, is that gonna be enough to get him where he wants to be as a as a world champion? I think it's gonna be we're gonna find out pretty soon. Yeah, I don't think that that he's going to be able to stay at 168 for very long. No. I no. mean, he's only 24 years old. Maybe a few years. Yeah. You know, maybe he wins the title at 168, but eventually light heavyweight's calling his name. He's just he's just too big. Yeah, it's it's got to be impossible for him. I mean, what, what's he, 24 now? 24 years old. Yeah, by the time he's 26, 27, that ain't happening. Well, he's been a pro since he was 18. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, with this kind of frame, the 75-inch reach, he'll do just fine Yep. at 175 pounds. He looked to be in better physical shape for this fight. He did. He looked more energetic. Um, and real, realistically, while his last fight, before the Edwards fight against Vlasov, he took way too many punches in that fight. Mm -hmm. Vlasov was a big fighter. Yeah. You know? So now in the ring against a smaller fighter, you were able to see Ramirez's ability to keep a smaller opponent at bay. Mm -hmm. And I think that that right there, in and itself, is his defense. Yep. That moment in the fight where both fighters wound up and simultaneously landing the punches in the fourth. I mean, both of those punches were monster shots. Yep. And Ramirez didn't blink. No, no. I, I think he's got a hell of a chin. I think he can take a punch with, with the best of them. We just need to see it. <laughs> I'll be interested to see with Ramirez his ability to absorb body shots because yeah. you know he's going to get in the ring with a top 10 fighter, and the first thing that they're going to do is attack this kid's body. There's no sense in punching uphill at a granite chin. No, no, there's not, and you want to you want to slow that kid down in the later rounds. You don't want to have to be dealing with his pressure and, and, and punch output late. It's definitely body work will be key if you want to beat him. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, there's no doubt, man. Let's go ahead real quick and just give a little uh I don't know, a little run through here of the 168 pound division as ranked by Ring Magazine we always refer to the ring you can visit their website ringtv.craveonline.com 
for their ratings and good fight schedules, too. Always give a good shout-out to the Bible of Boxing. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at the super middleweight division and what the likes of Gilberto Ramirez is facing in the future. Um, this will also pertain to another fighter that we'll be talking about here a little bit shortly. But as things stand with, we can all assume if Andre Ward stays at 168, Andre Ward's is a linchpin, even though he's not ranked and he's been stripped of his ring title as the champion of the division. If he does fight at 168, you got to put him at the top. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Either way, it's probably an elusive matchup. Maybe it's a matchup that he wants because Ward did call the last Ramirez fight on HBO and was kind of aligning himself as if, yeah, hey, I'll take the, I'll take a shot at this game. Yeah, he was making comments like it would be easy work, kind of. Yeah, exactly. So let's go ahead. We'll put Ward there for all intents and purposes. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Arthur Abraham, James DeGale, George Groves, Robert Stieglitz, and then comes Gilberto Ramirez. He has made his way up through the rankings with an impressive record. I want to go ahead and do a brief... We've already talked about the Abraham fight. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Ramirez, unless he's able to just completely wear him down, I'm not sure how he would fare against James DeGale. He's such an awkward fighter. Yeah, James can box, and he's rangy too. So, yeah, that's a, that's a tough fight to call, man. George Groves, it's another tough fight. Yeah. You would talk about probably close to 1,800 punches thrown in that fight. Yeah, yeah that would be just a punch fest, man. Robert Stieglitz or Arthur Abraham, whoever wins the fight, okay, you have to think to yourself that um, either one, a tough test. Oh, definitely. Um, Andre Durrell, Badu Jack, Anthony Durrell, Fedor Chudinov, Callum Smith, who we'll get to here in a little bit. What do you think about the Durrell brothers against this kid? I don't think either of the Durrell brothers has that intangible to take a fight. I don't think Gilberto Ramirez would allow them to win. No, no, I don't think so either. He, w he would be in their face and making them work a little more than the Durrell brothers like to work in uh, a fight. They do not like to be hit. No. And they do not like to be pressured. No. And they do not like to be moved backwards. Yeah, he's the wrong fighter for both of them. Well, that's who's right there. Yeah, yeah. Mm, real quick, okay? We like the prospects of Ramirez. Mm -hmm. I think you, your breakdown and analysis of this kid, the way he's going to win fights, he's going to use that chin to his advantage, and the volume punching, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about real quick. George Groves versus Badu Jack. Looks like it's going to happen in Vegas in July. Yeah. <sighs> What's with this injury, this Groves injury? I know he fell on a boat. I think he was doing like he was out, like, I don't know, hanging out with the troops. Okay. And he slipped and fell on the boat or something. Um, he, I think he's fine. Okay. I don't think it's going to affect this fight at all. I like Groves pretty decisively in this fight. Yeah, I do too. I think he will outbox Badu Jack fairly easily. And outwork him, definitely. So then the top of the division is pretty much nestled in. Foreign fighters have always fought well at 168 pounds. Mm -hmm. The future of this division seems rather bright. Yes, it does. It definitely does. Um, so you like Ramirez's champ chance to uh, become a champion at 168 pounds? I do. And now that I'm looking at it, though, it looks like chances are when he gets his shot, it's going to be on the road. Yeah. It's going to be in... Germany, or it's going to be in the UK. I don't think you're going to get Abraham, DeGale, or Groves to come over here and fight Ramirez. If he wants to go after one of their belts, he's going to have to hop on a plane and fly his ass over there. Hmm. I don't know, man. 
Here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that Top Rank is going to start putting on pay-per-views from Mexico. Oh, really? Like they used to. Well, that's awesome. Um, and there had been talks about a a fight between Chocolatito um, and, and, a, and a couple different options as being one of those fights. Right. Um, that would take place in a, in a small pay-per-view, affordable pay-per-view. Apparently, the site fee paid out would be so much so that Bob Arum would only need fifty or 60,000 pay-per-view buys to break even on it. So he was talking about that putting together a, uh, you know, a small pay-per-view and having Ramirez fight the winner of the Abraham fight in Mexico City for big bucks. Yeah, I, I I just think at this point in Abraham's career and Stieglitz, they're stubborn, man. They know where the, their bread's buttered in Germany. They know when they get outside of there, their their chances of winning go down a little bit. I just hey, enough money will get them there for sure, uh, and 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 maybe pay per view, you know, in the states will will we'll sell them on it too. But I don't know. I just feel like he's going to have to. But that definitely makes sense. I mean, to put Gilberto on that first card in Mexico for a pay-per-view. I mean, yeah, that's you can't go wrong there. No, you can't. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I, look, if Stieglitz wins, I could see Stieglitz fighting in Mexico City. Yeah, yeah. Before I could, because I can tell you right now, um, I don't think that uh, I don't think that Stieglitz is going. I don't. I don't think Gilberto Ramirez is going to be fighting Stieglitz in Russia on a pay-per-view. Do you? No, 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 no. All right, so we've uh, we've kind of pounded that one to death, but um, that's okay because that's what we do here. We just keep on pounding it, keep on <laughs> just just beat it up, <laughs> just beat it up. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and move forward. So on the undercard, Diego Magdaleno. This guy's a cartoon character. He is, man. Jose Gonzalez. Never heard of this guy. He, he has LeBron James syndrome. He looks like he's like I don't know, fifty-two years old. Yeah. Wow, this guy, man. He made Guillermo Rigondeau and Erzlandi Lara seem like they are fighting like with their hair on fire. Yeah, that was the first really good look I've ever gotten at him. Uh, I don't need another one. No. And the end of that fight was a complete disgrace. Yeah, no, it really was. Um, the left hook to the body that crumbles Gonzalez. He acted like he was hitting the nuts. Yeah. Pabone calls a low blow, and then Pabone defends that that it was a low blow when it wasn't. No. This was not a low blow. Not even close. Not even remotely close. Gonzalez, I don't know what that was, man. Do you do you think that that body shot crippled him like that? Or do you think that he was just it was a combination of acting and embarrassment and pain combined? I think it crippled him for at first. And then I think he was, like you just said, I think embarrassment set in. Yeah. And he didn't know what to do. And he was crawling around like... Uh, like a newborn child. It, yeah, it man. Was weird. It, it was, was weird. Very awkward. Um. Yeah. That was that. That was definitely bizarro world. Don't ever put that guy on TV again. No. Ah. Uh, you lost your chance right there. Yeah. Buddy. That was awful, man. That was awful. Uh. It's too bad. Magdaleno. I think he likes to mix it up, and I just think that he did not have a dance partner. You know. No. no uh-uh. I mean, fortunately though, he got the victory because he had a pretty nasty cut all over his eye. Yeah, and I think if it went on, he would eventually uh, have put Gonzalez down legit. Well, he did do it legitimately, but it would have been another knockdown at some point. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move on to Callum Smith. You know, 
I went back in time on my on my trip to uh, Chicago for business this past week, man. <laughs> and I was listening to some old episodes of the show. So I put in, I think it was episode 30, our 2014 year in review. You actually did not have Callum Smith ranked. No, I had him right outside of my top five. Yeah, and I had him ranked. Mm-hmm. I think I had him ranked fifth or fourth or fifth on my list. And um, or maybe or did I have him second? No, I didn't have him. You second. had him. F- I had I had Anthony Joshua. You had him fifth. Yeah, I had Anthony Joshua, Julian Williams, uh, Felix Verdejo, Gilberto Ramirez, and Callum Smith. Yep, yep. So we moved to Callum Smith. Either way, we both really like this kid. Yeah, comes from the Fighting Smiths of Liverpool. Um, a pretty, I don't know. This fight was kind of it was a good fight. Yeah, Rabrassi is tough as nails. Yeah. And but this fight was pretty much the same fight. <laughs> yeah, it was every single round. But we get to the tenth round. Let's talk about the tenth. Callum Smith is investing into the body. He mm. probably would have liked to more. And the twenty-five-year-old drops Robrasi with a huge left dig to the liver after just pounding, pounding, I mean, thumping the war drum to the body. Right hook, right hook. And then he sits down and digs that left hook. And Rabrasi looked like he was done. Mouthpiece falls out. Callum Smith wins 118 to 110 times two, 120 to 108 on the judges' scorecards. Then let's talk about Callum Smith since the fight was kind of bleh. Yeah. It was kind of just repetitive. Yeah. Let's talk about Callum Smith and your takeaway from this fight against Christopher Rabrasi. I have one problem with Callum Smith moving forward, being that he is such a big guy at six foot three. Why is he letting the smaller Rabrasi at five ten, five eleven, push him around the ring? Too much backing up, too much laying on the ropes in the latter half of the fight. Dude, you're big. What are you letting this guy walk you down for? Keep him on the end of your jab and, and get in and get out when you can. I will say on the good th- side of things for Smith is I don't know if anybody – I mean, he is dedicated to going to the body. And I think as, as far as I'm concerned, when he drops that left to the body, it's it's one of the most beautiful left hooks to the body you're going to see in boxing today. Uh, it's, it's a thing of beauty. There's still some questions with Callum moving forward. Uh, Rabrassi was able to land some punches pretty easy, keep it short, keep it straight down the middle on his way in, right. and, and, and land some punches. Smith, overall, I, look, you, you see him ranked at top 10, or in the top 10 at 10 on the, mm-hmm. on the ring rankings. I think he's eventually on his way up that list, but he's going to have to beat one of those guys in front of him first. I, I, I want to see, you know, Rabrassi was, was his first test to see, can Smith keep his pace up? Can he... Can he deal with a guy that's going to be in front of him from the opening bell to the end bell? And I think he proved that in this fight because Rabrassi did make make him work for the win for sure. But um, we're going to have to see a little bit better competition in the ring with Smith before I am ready to kind of cement him as a top five super middleweight. Wow. I'm surprised. Surprised to hear you uh, kind of retract a little bit on this kid. I- I've retracted a little bit on him and Gilberto. Not... I'm not pulling. I'm not off the bandwagon. Right. I'm just not as high as I was on them a year and a half ago when I when I you know first started really getting into these guys' careers. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think this is what we get when we get uh, guys that that they do it differently than most boxers of today do. Yeah, they invest so much 
to the body. Mm-hmm. They're so used to being the best. Now the answers will be cast. They will define themselves now as they enter into the gatekeeper category mm-hmm. in their progression. Ramirez looked far more impressive to me. Yes, I thought so too. Than Smith. Rebrassi, though, is a tough son of a bitch. And Rebrassi made George Groves look a, a, a notch below what we actually think of him. Right. Maybe that's just who Rebrassi is. I, I think so. But I'm with you. Um, I think I've seen more out of other prospects so far this year. Yeah. And Col- and uh, Callum Smith is kind of teetering right now for me. He is. I'm not sure he deserves the number 10 ranking at this point. Um, he's definitely fallen out of my top five prospects, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that ranking is based on pedigree and what they think they, they see coming in the future from him. I, it's nothing that he's proved to this point. Other than last night against Rebrassi, he's fought nobody. No, and I, you know what? To be honest, man, you know I thought that he won the fight, but I think the uh, the scorecards were a bit lopsided. Yeah, they may have been a little bit wider than they should have been, for sure. All right, man. So that'll do it for 168-pound action from Friday night. But let's go to Showbox. Yes, yes, folks. <laughs> it does still exist. Fledgling as it is, it's uh, there. Yes. Ah, uh, Showbox, Showbox, Showbox. Um... <laughs> This sucks, camel dicks! <laughs> yep, that's exactly what I feel every single time um, that I have to hear Steve Farhood and company. That is the worst announcing group alive. To, that is worse than Marv Albert and Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, it's, it's very close, but yes, it is the worst by far. It is so obnoxious to hear these guys. They can't even remotely pretend to be unbiased. No, no, they are so, so bad at it, man. They, it's like, dude, come on. You got to disguise it a little bit. Oh, Tompkins. Yeah. He was funny on BET last week, though. <laughs> <laughs> He's a homeboy. Tompkins peaked at Rocky Four in 1985. <laughs> yeah, man, Tompkins is out there, dude. He really is. But Steve Farhood is, uh, this guy's a schlep. I, I don't understand how they can keep letting this guy's scorecards be posted on TV screens, man. He is... <laughs> He's, he's the worst. He is. he is the worst. I think he's such a kiss-ass to Al Heyman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He is the biggest kiss-ass. I think he's a kiss-ass to everybody in the sport in general. He may be a great historian, man. Right. But, man, Steve Farhood is by far, um, I think he's the worst, most biased. He does not call it fair. He doesn't try to call it fair. He doesn't pretend to call it fair. The dude is a joke. The, the day my scorecard matches a Steve Farhood scorecard, I'm going to stop watching boxing. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to Leave It in the Ring um, with Gabe Montoya and uh, 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 David Duenas, and they had uh, they did an interview with Abel Sanchez. It was actually a really good interview. Yeah. But he was talking about what we, you and I talk about off the air a lot. And what we've talked about you know, from time to time on the tail of the tape is the good old Boyd Network. Of professional prize fighting. Yeah, it's it's got to change at some point, man. They like, have to infuse new blood into this. Yes, it's it's very old and stale. You can find my demo tape on theboxingrant.com. <laughs> I'm looking for work. No, I'm just kidding. But I uh, but I will take the job, though. <laughs> yeah, right. As long as I don't got to work with Malinaji, no. I'm good to go. Barry Tompkins, Raul Marquez, I can deal with that. We can make that work. Yeah, we can make that work. Dominic Wade versus Sam Solomon. I had, really didn't want to watch this fight. 
Well, Jack Reese is reffing, so you have to watch. <laughs> it's, a, it's a show when he's there, buddy. <laughs> the Jack Reese show. Oh, man. Jack's uh, back, baby. Yeah. Dominic Wade, Sam Solomon. I really wasn't. I was just planning. I watched the first round and then, you know, kind of see. I'll, I'll fast forward to the end. and Right. No. For some reason, I just. Sam Solomon watching him just makes me laugh. <laughs> really, if you're feeling down about yourself, if you uh, are feeling depressed, just pop in some Sam Solomon tape, and you will get a great laugh. He b- he bounces around the ring with a smile on his face. He's just a goofy, awkward boxer. He dude. is just having so much fun, man. All right, let's get to the fight. <laughs> Sam Solomon jumping in wild with a ducking jab. I don't know what that is. It's the um, the most interesting jab in boxing, <laughs> if nothing else. Wade could not find him. No. Solomon was really effective in the clinch events. With those uppercuts. Yeah. And the referee was letting him fight. Yeah, yeah. Those uppercuts, he would <laughs> land two and three at a time. Yeah. Um, the third round, Wade was a bit more aggressive, but just can't find the Aussie. Solomon was in control of the fight. Even though it seems like he's not in control of anything, much less his reflexes or his, who knows, bodily functions. He was spitting all over the place. <laughs> he looks like he's on a damn pogo <laughs> stick, man. Just <laughs> bouncing all over the guy. He was place. in Sam Solomon's version of control <laughs> right. of the fight. The fourth round, Wade catches Solomon off balance and pushes him to the ground. Jack Reese calls it a slip, but then he turns and looks at the ref sitting ringside and changes his rolling to a knockdown. Yeah, I mean, the guy at ringside was, was counting for him, so he had to, right? Did you hear him say? No, it's a slip. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I don't, Jack normally doesn't mess up like that either. No. It's a difficult fight to score. I have no idea who's ahead. <laughs> Funny for a guy who's usually so decisive, Steve Farhood. Yeah. Uh, it's so, this is crazy. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'll bet you that old, oh, Al Heyman, Papa Al won't get mad at me if I act like this. I'll just be like, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) We head to the sixth. Solomon, uh, takes another one. Wade throws Solomon down to the canvas at the bell and Jack Reese warns him. You can't do that shit. You can't do that shit. Uh, Jack Reese, you got to love him. Wade connects with two big rights in the seventh. The first wobbles Solomon, but Wade is ineffective mostly. Solomon is outworking Wade. The eighth, the ninth, the tenth. (sighs) I scored this fight, Vin, 96 to 92. 96 to 92. I scored at 98, 91. For Solomon, I, I thought Wade did absolutely nothing in that fight. Nothing. What, what are you doing, son? You, you're throwing five jabs around. You're 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 unleashing a couple right hands and, and whiffing a bunch. And I understand Solomon is just a, a dude. I don't <laughs> know why any promoter or manager would ever put their young undefeated fighter in the ring with this guy. In the ring with him. You're, you're, what are you doing? What I, are you doing? You I, never. You don't have to face that style ever again. It's not a learning experience. No, it's not. It's confusing. It, it is very confusing, and that is exactly way he looked like a deer in the headlights. He did. A fighter with no foot movement who stands completely upright on his back foot mm-hmm. and just throws straight punches, and Solomon is like a freaking moving target. You know what I mean? Mm. He's never in one place for more than a half a second. I cannot stand watching Solomon fight. No. This fight was torturous, dude. It was torturous, and I did not want to give Solomon rounds. And that being said, I scored at 96-92 for Solomon. You had it even wider than that. 
Robert Hoyle scores this fight 97-92 to for Dominic Wade. He didn't win a single statistical category in this fight, and I don't like to refer to the numbers unless it's a close fight. This fight wasn't close. No. All I can say for that is Hoyle is disgusted by by Solomon's style. He's like, I'm just not scoring that. It's not even boxing. I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. It's a hybrid Greco-Roman bullfighting. I don't know what the hell it is, man. Max DeLuca scores at 96-93 to for Solomon. And Robert Bird, 95-94 to for Wade. Wade wins a split decision victory. And unanimous boos stream through the crowd. The loudest part of the show by far. Even the crowd. They were probably thoroughly entertained by him. Oh, yeah. Absolute garbage decision. Absolutely garbage. And Steve Farhood, oh, man. I got I, it right. I knew it. <laughs> I, yeah, man, I didn't know what was going on out there. <laughs> hey, look, am, am I, I'm still in the good graces of Papa Al. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, he is insufferable, man. I can't stand him. Gosh. Man, showtime. Al Heyman, how does Steven Espinosa still have a job? I, I don't know. I don't know. I've seen some pictures that of him. He's looking rough these little, days. Smug little prick. I, I, I sent out a tweet and called him a cheese-eating rat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got blocked. Yeah, who cares, man? <laughs> who cares? I'm just, look, that, that whole conglomerate of Showtime and Espinosa and PBC you are doing nothing for the sport. You're, everything you put on is a complete fucking joke, man. It yeah. really is. It, no, it really is. It is such a bad product, such bad announcing. It, it could not be. It is a direct, gigantic spit into the face of people that know about this sport. Yep. We have new listeners, new boxing fans listen to this show. We have boxing fans listen to this show that are twice as old as we are that have been watching fights before we were born. Yep. It doesn't matter if you are the world's most revered expert in the sport or you're brand new and it's your first day. You can't polish a turd, and shit stinks, man. It does. You know? The polish has worn off. The fumes are being released. (laughs) And these guys are just unbelievably oblivious to the point. The Wall Street Journal posted an article, I guess two weeks back now, mm-hmm. about Waddell and Reed lost, has lost about $12 billion recently, and investors are pulling their money out like crazy. And now the PBC is approaching $200 million in the hole coming from Waddell and Reed. They're, they're about to cut that loose, man. You, you can't be – that's a – I mean, you're taking on all that, or you're throwing out all that money is all you're doing for for a product that – I would have to think if these guys are watching, they're going, we can't pay for this trash. It's garbage. And that's what you get. Look, Al Heyman, you're a, you're a boardroom guy. You're not a boxing guy. That's why you're fucking this up, man. You, you don't, there's not an ounce of boxing in you. Yes, you're a smart guy, and I'm, I'm sure you figured, I'm going to step into the smart, sport of boxing. I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room right away, so I'm going to take advantage of everybody and make all this money, and you know I, I'm going to be the best thing since sliced bread and boxing. Except you forgot. You don't know shit about boxing. No. You don't have an ounce of boxing anything in your in your body. He 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 there's no rhyme and reason to the matchups. No. They don't lead to anything. Nope. They're at random catch weights for nothing when titles could be on the line. He has literally pulled his junk out and pissed 
all over the sanctioning bodies, yep. all over their belts, every single one of them. And he knows he can do it because sanctioning fees are what pay the bills for these, for these companies. Mm -hmm. He sits in a room, does not speak to the media. A real businessman that is worth a shit would be out in front of this. A real leader of business would be answering the tough questions from the media and listening to the fans and their feedback. Now you got these danglers on like Showtime. Why they're still in business with this guy after he has pretty much just... Not only has he plucked up fighters from all the promoters that are now all suing him, mm -hmm. not only is he breaking all these laws, but he's convinced Steven Espinosa, who is convinced the higher-ups at CBS, that it's somehow a good idea to pay all these people that don't actually work anymore because Heyman has sabotaged and gutted your company. Yeah. It's disgusting, man, from top to bottom. I, it, and it, I think we can see the writings on the wall. The facade is crumbling. The PBC is on its way down. I, I don't see any way how, how at this point you can recover. There's not one fight you can make. There's, you, have, you have nothing. No. You have basically shot your wad. Seven months into the start of the PBC, yeah, guess and 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 this plan of having it on a dozen networks instead of having one network, like if they could have just taken the PBC on ESPN, yeah, let's have a flagship network, right, and proven themselves to that network, right, right? and built a fan base on that network with all of their fighters. Instead, they spread so thin with meaningless matchups that there are no ratings, nobody's going to any of these fights, when they could actually build a brand on one network, prove their worth, and ESPN sees the returns, guess what? ESPN will write them a check tomorrow. Yeah. And instead, all of these networks are looking at these ratings saying, I could put reruns of Seinfeld on. And it'll get three, four times that. Yeah, why are we going to pay these guys for these minuscule ratings? And then the, the, the PBC fanboys out there, the, the Kevin Iolis and Dan Raphaels of the world, won't expose any of this because they're afraid they're going to lose their access right. and their ass-kissing privileges. When they have the, 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 the readership and they have the outlets and they are paid the salaries of people that are supposed to be as us as the consumer, they're responsible for the information that we get. But these cowards won't even write about what is really going on. They write these fluff pieces trying to tell people that these numbers are great, but they're not. They're not. No. Not, not only are they not great, but now the diehard boxing fan that the likes of Lou DiBella and the cowardly, cowardly Al Heyman have just completely run rampant and, and, and spit all over. They're not even watching anymore. Nope. The numbers are falling fast, man. It is, it is pathetic. They need a reevaluation of where they stand, and they need to check their egos and arrogance at the door. Oh, Ken. Shuffle the damn deck. Al is smarter than everybody. Yeah. He's got it all figured yep. out, man. Yeah, he's got it all figured out, all right. All he's got is a bunch of money, and he's pretty soon going to have spent it all. Yeah. No, I, I'm, look, I cannot wait. To, to see it when it eventually does happen because we have been, I feel like, a part of the 
we've been swinging a sledgehammer at the wall, taking down this what we see as a complete disaster for the sport of boxing. And I want to see it come down. I'm, I'm tired of it, man. You oversaturate the market with piss poor fights. It, we've had enough. Yeah. You know? Yep. yep Simple as that. Simple as that. Indeed. Can we get a, uh, a round of applause, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's always good fun. What were we talking about? PBC uh, always gets me. I don't know. I, I, I forget. What day is it? <laughs> the, um, no, you know, the, it all harkens back to this Showbox The Next Generation card. These guys sit around. They get paid. There's no consequences for anything. Nope. There's no consequences for the fighters. They can go out and act like morons. They're always going to have their job. Yep. They're just going to keep getting paid for minimal um, risk and uh, just laugh all the way to the bank while it completely destroys the competitive spirit of the sport. And guys like Steve Farhood, um, can just sit around and just laugh like, <laughs> I got this job and nobody going to fire me. I can be a complete twat and just hide behind my scorecards. <laughs> guy's a joke, man. He is, man. He All is. right, let's move on. Erickson Lubin was on this card. Um, I think he got kind of swallowed up by the implosion of Mike Tyson promotions. Yeah. It's too bad because now the first thing out of Erickson Lubin's mouth after his fight last night was, I just want to thank Al, T- Al Heyman. And my team, as one of the Watson twins, is in the corner just laughing like, ha-ha, we get paid for nothing. Yeah, those guys, man. The army of rats that he sends out. I, I don't know. what. what I, I really wish that he would he would not get involved with Heyman. I, I, hopefully it's short-lived and, and everybody's relationship with Heyman comes to an end at some point. Hey, man, you can't keep paying these guys. No, you if, cannot. If, if nobody's watching, the coffers will run dry, and I will be – Amazed, amazed if somebody ever pays for this product. No, uh, I don't. Nobody's paying for this, and it's unfortunate because guys like Erickson Lubin, J Rock, Julian Williams are the ones that will uh, end up getting the short end of the stick as they are in the impressionable years for boxing fans. But Erickson Lubin, let's get to him. Lubin, quick combinations, mm-hmm. short, compact punches. His technique is unbelievably sharp for his age. So many young fighters get really wide with their hooks, especially wild and sloppy with their combinations when they're going in for the kill. Yeah. Lubin keeps everything under control. Everything. Calculated, shifting speeds, good power. What do you think about this kid's technique? Dude, for for 19 years old. 19. It's, you know, it's very, very impressive watching him fight. Only... Not only is he only 19 years old, but he brings, uh, for, for a 19-year-old, some serious power, man. I mean, a kid can punch, and he can throw all kinds of different punches with power on all of them. Um, it's kind of a scary thought to think of this kid at you know, 24, 25, getting stronger. I don't know if he's going to remain at 147 or if he's going to maybe end up at, at junior middleweight by that time, but... This kid, I think, is uh, he's got a skill set that's going to be scaring some people here in a couple years. Oh, sure, man. Man, 19 years old. Yeah. 19 years old. I mean, his, his technique inside makes Errol Spence look bad I, I'm, and sloppy. Yeah. And just, you, you just start with 19 years old. I mean, this kid is scratching the freaking surface, Ken. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. Um, I'm, I, was, uh, I was extremely impressed by his... His performance um, and his haircut. 
<laughs> that that haircut is pretty badass. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, Oscar Rivas versus Jason Petaway. Oscar Rivas, a pretty dangerous heavyweight prospect, um, drops Petaway in the corner from a right hook to the body, and then he winds up and swings a devastating left hook that hits Petaway in the head while he was down. Yeah, that was uh, mm, that that that's a questionable questionable move there. Robert Bird's reaction, or lack thereof, just meh. And the reaction of Farhood, Tompkins, and Marquez was despicable. Did you expect anything different from those idiots? They, Tompkins and Farhood tried to minimize the entire situation. And then Marquez, after the fight is over, says, eh, what do you expect? We're fighters. What do you expect us to do? We expect you not to hit somebody when he's down. Yeah, that's that's the most uh, shameful act a fighter can commit, man. That's just he should have been disqualified. He should have been, and he yeah. wasn't disqualified. You know why? Because he's the hay side. Yep. And Robert Bird knew it. You could tell by his reaction. The look on his face was the same reaction, the same exact reaction as during the Adrian Broner fight. Of this look on the faces of these Heyman pocketed referees shaking their head, being like, damn it, would you guys stop doing this shit? It's making me look bad. Yeah, if you guys don't believe yet that, that Heyman has uh, somewhat of a reach and control over these referees, uh, you're blind because it's, it's yes. 100% true. That reaction was exactly what was on Robert Bird's face like, why did he have to do this? This yeah. would have just been over. He could have just knocked him out. Yep. And he penalizes him two points while the announcing crew just completely minimizes it. He could have killed this guy. Yeah. And yep. he, he, I'm sorry. If that happens and as, as egregious as that was, that fight should have been stopped. He should have been disqualified. And they should have taken the opportunity, just like Al Heyman has the opportunity with the PBC from day one to change the things that needed to be fixed with boxing instead of just random unnecessary changes, illogical to the fabric of the sport. They had an opportunity here to seize the moment and stop the fight and make an example of this asshole. Nope, can't do it. Can't oh, do it. what do you expect? We're fighters. We're in the heat of battle. Oh, so when you're in the heat of battle and you knock your opponent down, you just stand there and look at him for a second and say, eh, I'm going to give him one more. It's not a street fight, dude. This is a boxing match. There's rules. Quote, unquote, from Steve Farhood. Eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> eh, it doesn't matter. Oh, we all get paid to act like assholes. God, man. Eh. Pathetic. Eh. Pathetic. Eh, whatever, Vin. <laughs> Who are you? I'm just a guy, man. Who are you? Pay me your money. Eh. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. An interesting Showtime card. Yeah. Um, they shit the bed as usual. Yeah, Erickson Lubin, the only bright spot, lasted about um, 120 seconds. Yep. Oscar Rivas, I don't want to see you fight again. No. Um, announcements. Then, Al Heyman busted for stealing venue dates. Shocked. Um, <laughs> completely shocked. What? <laughs> Sabotaging his rival's shows? No way. Oh, no wonder he hides and doesn't address the media. How could we possibly stand in front of the media and address the accusations 
of corporate espionage. <laughs> this on top of him, I guess this kind of confirms the previous reports of him paying off sparring partners more than they would be paid to come into camps <laughs> to keep them out of camp. Uh, it, where does it end with this, man? This is What are you doing? Like You're trying to create a false world of boxing? I, I, I don't understand. California commissioner, boxing commissioner, and ex-police officer John Frierson says he was holding up the dates at the forum in the Staples Center, and we took that away. We're the commission. We can stop it, and we did. Good for you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Frierson says, when I was younger, Frierson, a former amateur boxer himself, yeah. said gangsters ran boxing. Blinky Palermo and those guys. Now it's a different crew in ties and suits. <laughs> and they go around the law. They do. Man, this guy makes me sick, Heyman does. Yeah, he's a lawyer that's looking for loopholes in a sport and to try and take advantage of anything he possibly can to squeeze a dollar out of everything. <sighs> when will it end? That <sighs> mm, doesn't surprise me either, man. It's like we're just regurgitating this stuff. Over and over and over again. I mean, we saw all this coming. Come on, man. Yeah, and then the pom-pom waivers out there, they want to be like, oh, you're just, you're trying to sabotage. You guys don't like anything. No, we just don't accept bullshit. No, yeah, you're not going to feed me something that I can see coming down the line. Stinks. <laughs> man. Uh, let's get to some more announcements. Klitschko versus Fury, the purse bid, July 6th in Panama. An anticipated 80-20 split for the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Klitschko versus Fury this fall. 80-20 split, huh? Yeah, that's what it says. It's anticipated. Hey, doesn't no. mean that's how it's going to go, but... Uh, I, I guess he's earned that. And Fury's pr pr Fury could care less, man. No, no, uh-uh. You know, he's probably got plenty of money over there. I'll be waiting on, what is it, July 6th? July 6th, I'll Klitschko versus Fury. I can't wait to see that fight. Yeah, man, it's going to be freaking awesome. The best heavyweight fight in... Ten years. Mm-hmm. Fonfaro versus Cleverly announced 175 pound. This is a big, big chunk to bite off for Cleverly. Um, he's an impressive 24 second body shot knockdown knockout of an unknown in his last fight, coming off of a lethargic, pathetic performance against Tony Bellew, where he looked like he did not train for the fight. Fonfara. My early prediction, I've gotten to a little bit back and forth with some loyal listeners of the show regarding this. Funfara, too big, too strong, too determined. Funfara stops Cleverly in this one. Oh, he laughs at Cleverly's punches and that body shot. I mean, come on. Look, Funfara is just too tough of a fighter. Yeah, for Cleverly Clever. doesn't have any power. That was a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. uh, punch on a guy that had no business being in the ring. Yeah, on on the button, early in a fight, not ready for it, guy not even warm. Uh Dude, Funfar is a scary fighter for anybody, a, a scary proposition for any fighter. Uh, cleverly, it's just, I'm sorry, you bit off a little more than you can chew with this one, buddy. Yep. Fonfara will do what he does. Mm -hmm. He'll win this fight, and then hopefully that will lead to a Fonfara versus Betterbiev fight. The winner takes on a Duckness Chickenson. Hey, I hope he cleans them both out, man. I like Funfar too. I like Funfar in a rematch against a Duckness. I do, too. You know? Yeah. I think he realizes that, uh, you know what? I can go. I, he can't hurt me. Yeah, you know he figured it out about halfway through that first fight. Now mm -hmm. he knows going into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, yeah, I guess that will do it. 
It was an interesting weekend from the fights, as I think we just got so much good stuff in the first half of the year. We're starting to enter into that transitional period. Yeah. Some plug-in fights here and there. Big fighters looking to make their second date, third dates of the year. Yep. And uh looks like there's some huge fights on the horizon. You uh, brought to my attention before the show that it looks like Canelo and Cotto in November. Yeah. Yep. It looks like it's uh, pretty much a done deal. Where? Donde? I think you got to do it. You got to do it in Texas, right? Or you, or, or you got to do it in New York, one or the other. Yeah, I think you're missing out on uh, on some attendees if you put it in New York. But you'd have to put it in Madison Square Garden, I think, just because it's bigger than Barclays Center. It's got Jerry's World written written all over it, I think. Yeah. Well, they can make a lot of money from ticket sales. How many... How many uh, seats do you think they could fill? I think they could probably do around 60,000. Yeah, I, I'm kind of – the only problem I have with the fight there is if you're sitting in the stands, you're so far away from the damn ring. Oh, yeah. You're so far. I mean, you might as well, you're pretty much going to watch the big screen, which I'm sure is pretty pretty awesome. But I, I, I don't know. If it's there, I don't know how I feel about going to that fight. I'd rather be in a, it be in a venue where it's – you're more on top of the ring, and it's more of a – the atmosphere is more on top of the ring. It's kind of just – it loses a little luster, I think, in, in Jerry's world. Cotto says he wants the fight to be in Vegas or New York. Uh, I, look, it makes sense anywhere. It's going to be a freaking sellout, can't-miss fight wherever you put it on. Yeah. I agree. It's uh, it's good news. Still no word on the Carl Frotch front. He's still waffling. He's going to retire. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, and that will, uh, you know, that'll definitely cause a shift as to what's going to happen in the middleweight division with all these new champions. We got Andy Lee versus Billy Joe Saunders coming up this fall. Um, and it looks like, uh, it looks like that, uh, Miguel Cotto is the only middleweight champion that will not be, uh, delivering on his mandatory challenge. Um, as David Lemieux will fight his mandatory probably, um, Andy Lee fights his mandatory, but Miguel Cotto, for some reason, doesn't want to fight his mandatory. <laughs> Miguel Cotto does no. what Miguel Cotto wants to. Yes, Miguel Cotto does not take beatdowns for free. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, so that'll do it. Um, next week on episode 57 of The Tale of the Tape, we preview the PBC on ESPN, Keith Thurman versus Luis Calazo. Old Louis is going to get a beatdown. Um, I can predict this fight right now, but we need content for next uh, next week. Tony Harrison, uh, this guy, man. Oh, it's a show when Tony's out there, man. <laughs> Always a show. Always a show. The Michigan native takes on Willie Nelson. That should be his first legitimate test of his career um, in a 10-rounder. HBO Latino from the L.A. Sports Arena, Mauricio Herrera versus Hank Lundy. Should be a good one. Yeah, that should definitely be nonstop. Um Hank Lundy is, has the only semblance of power in that match. Yeah. But let's see if Hank Lundy makes weight. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough for him. And if he does make weight, is he going to be a full Hank Lundy come fight night? I, you know, you never know. Yeah, I think he can make 140, but he didn't really make much effort to try to make weight in his last fight. No, he did not. So, all right, brother. Well, next week we will be taking live callers. Look for the information, the phone number, all of that will be posted on the boxingrant.com and all of our outlets. Again, we are looking for some bloggers with a voice. Send writing samples to podcast at theboxingrant.com. We want to hear what you have to say. Don't worry, we're not looking for reporting. We just want to hear opinions 
We want to hear controversy. We want to hear provocative language. Yeah, give us your take. Don't hold back. Man. No, do not hold back. If you don't like something, let us know. But yeah, we are looking for some contributors to theboxingrant.com to build a foundation around the flagship of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. We'll be expanding our content. We want your voice. Um, we want to hear what you have to say about it. And uh, so I guess that will be just about it, my friend. The Tale of the Tape, episode 56. Timothy Bradley does the deal against Jesse Vargas. Looking forward to the 4th of July event. Mm-hmm. Definitely need that uh, nice three-day weekend. Absolutely. Drop by theboxingrant.com for all the archived episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. We'll be back next week for episode 57. More previews and predictions along the way. We want to expand our content for you, the listeners. Let us know. Drop us a line at the mailbag or directly to podcast at theboxingrant.com. We'll be back next week, live in full effect at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks to all of our listeners in Sweden, the United Kingdom. Thanks for tuning in worldwide to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, for my co-host, Vince Cummings. You've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.